Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Well, Pastor Joe said I'm a man of great humility. Let's put that to rest. I'm a good-looking old guy, aren't I? Tell you what. <laughs> we, <laughs> he and I have been friends for a few years. Otherwise, I wouldn't say something like that. But I uh, love being here. You know, a lot of Calvary chapels have taken over abandoned gas stations and bars and things to make churches, and that's okay. Uh, but I just love this building. You're really blessed. It's so beautiful. And, uh, of course, you make it beautiful, too, by being here today. And on such a hot day, uh, you chose to come out and worship God. And that's always a good idea, no matter what the weather is. We thank you for having us. Uh, We thank you because, as a church, you do support the work uh, that we're involved with. Uh, We um, recently moved back to New Jersey, uh, down in the um, Ocean County area, after almost seven years living in Bahrain. How many of you know where Bahrain is? Raise your hand. Okay, we got like four. <laughs> That's a, it's a little island that actually geographically would fit into Ocean County. It's very small. It's between Qatar and Saudi Arabia. There's a 12-mile bridge from Bahrain to Saudi, which uh, the people in Bahrain have called the Party Bridge because a lot of Saudis who are supposed to behave themselves come over to Bahrain to misbehave. So, interesting place. I want to show you some pictures. Uh, let's get those going. There you go. Uh, you can see Bahrain uh, right to the right of the word Saudi. Uh, there's a star over it which covers the whole country. Um, but let's go. Oh, and by the way, if you have a pen and you're interested, that's our email. And uh, we have a web page that we hardly do anything with. Uh, but there it is. Let's go to the next one. So we, we're living there. And in this picture uh, is this beautiful woman wearing sunglasses in the middle. That's my wife, Susan. And she had the privilege of being a kindergarten teacher in a rather prestigious uh, school there uh, in Bahrain, uh, where actually the king's uh, grandchildren go. So it was a, it was a good school. And, um, you know, I, when she first went there, it was interesting because she had been teaching in a Christian school here in New Jersey, in a high school. And, I, and here in Bahrain, she decided to teach kindergarten. I said, well, what's that all about? You know, it's such a big difference. And she said, well, I'm a grandmom, and these kids fill up my grandma love tank, you know. And so she could be there shaping them and encouraging them. Obviously, she's teaching in English. Um, but, you know, if, if you ever want to think about ministry that's powerful, think about kids and all those folks that are in this church today allowing me to do what I'm doing because they're down there teaching the kids, and there's where the value is because you shape the hearts and minds. I asked her, why, why are you doing this? She said, you know, there's so many people within the religion of Islam that want Muslims to hate the rest of the world, to hate the Jews, hate the Christians, hate each other, you know. Uh, but I have a feeling and my hope in the Lord is that these kids, when they grow up and someone challenges them to hate, that they'll remember Miss Sue. And Miss Sue loved them. My friends, that's a powerful, powerful ministry you can do anywhere in the world 
Love the kids. And love them and let them know you're a Christian. You know, you don't have to preach, though. Just let them know. And they will know. And that will make such a powerful impact in the future. We consider one of the uh, main goals of our ministry is to counter the hatred of Islam with the love of Christ. Not an easy job, but we do our best. So when I was over there in Bahrain, uh, I had the privilege of being the pastor of a very large evangelical church, uh, and people uh, from all over the world come to work there. There's, there's no taxes, you know, so uh, it's a nice thing. Uh, gas was cheap. Uh, but people come there, and, and a lot of them are Christians. And so we had a church, and Sue and I actually met people from 70 different countries in our time there, worshiping together. Uh, let's put this next slide up. Maybe that'll help explain it. This was a baptism we did at somebody's pool, swimming pool. And there's, there's a, a, a Bahraini and a couple of Chinese gals, a Sri Lankan, and um, where, was it? where are they from? Hmm? South Africa. And uh, after the baptism, the Chinese lady said this, and I, I love what she said. She said, I was an atheist living in a communist dictatorship. God moved me to an Islamic monarchy in order to meet Jesus, the Jewish Prince of Peace, and be baptized by a Christian pastor from America. <laughs> How far the hand of God will reach to save sinners like me. Amen? You know? That was so cool. It really was, and I love that. Uh, Bahrain, by the way, is also the home, let's see the next one, of the U.S. Navy's Fifth Fleet. And that's the captain of the base there. There were about 7,000 people, uh, servicemen and women there. And I love it. People always say, aren't you afraid living in the Middle East? I said, heck no. I got 7,000 of America's finest in my backyard, you know. I mean, who can say that in New Jersey, right? So... Anyway, they gave me this award for supporting the base and praying for people. And, uh, and honestly, you know, every now and again, one of them would come up and say, Pastor, I'm going to be away for a couple of weeks. If I don't come back, you know, you'll, you'll take care of my family? Yeah, of course, you know, just, and pray for them. They have a hard job, a job that must be done. So when your pastor prayed this morning for the military, please do. They're, they're, you're not going to see it in the news, but they're all over the place. And, and because they're there, we had gas today to drive to church. So thank the Lord for that. Uh, what else do we have? These are just some highlights I wanted to show you before we get into God's Word. That's King Hamid, and uh, I'm at one of his palaces. That's the U.S. ambassador behind him, and, uh, you know, we're having a word now. I, I you know... And what Joe said about being so humble, you know, you'd think I was there sharing the gospel with them. I was actually talking about how good the baklava was, you know, so let's go to the next one. Okay. All right, we get a chance to go up into Iraq, and I love it. It's so pretty up there. It's like California. And uh, this is Yusuf and I, and we're standing on top of a uh, water uh, pump station that we had put in. And we were able, by God's grace and people giving, uh, we were able to uh, provide really good water pressure and clear water for six Christian villages in that area. Let's go to the next one. This was the local uh, school when I first went there. That, that thing on the right is the heating system. It's like a homemade heater, right? And it just broke my heart to be there. 
And so, again, by God's grace, we asked, we told people what was in our heart to fix it up. And let's look at the next one, Tim. That's what it looks like today. Uh, and, and I wish I could show you inside. You know, they got water fountains. They bought the kids a ping pong table and, and stuff that might not impress you. But I'll tell you what, over there in that heat, it's impressive. They have real toilets, you know. So, so anyway, uh, I'm going back there. Uh, if anybody wants to go, I'll be going in October. So talk to me. Uh, I love Iraq. This is Pastor Hytham and I, and uh, we were sharing God's word in his church. Our main ministry uh, happens in Jordan among the Iraqi and Syrian refugees at his church. He's actually in Old Bridge this morning. So, uh, all right, let's have the next one. So, Iraqi refugee kids, they come, and we have a little school called the Good Shepherd School. And when they come, they've seen things that you don't want, ever want to see. You never want your kids to have to see. So what they do is, as a way of helping the kids, a therapy, is they have them draw a picture. And the one on the right, this little fellow drew this picture. The Iraqi flag is laying down at the bottom. Uh, there's an ISIS flag on top of his school. There's a car being bombed. The small girl died. He saw this. You know, his car is destroyed. Uh, airplanes, all kind of stuff stuff okay but then six months later now he's in Jordan and he's feeling the love of our teachers and and there's his school and it's pretty and there's flowers and there's you know a beautiful sky and it's all done in the name of Jesus and I just love it you know these little kids come out of Iraq uh, they have to teach them Arabic and English but they have to teach them Arabic you say why that's crazy no they speak Aramaic Anybody know the famous guy that spoke Aramaic? Okay, Jesus, right? So I like to talk a lot, as, as is obvious right now. But when I'm over there, I zip it because, oh, that's what my Jesus sounds like, you know. So I like to listen to him. But they all speak Aramaic, and that school continues because the refugee problem has not finished. This has been the greatest, uh, largest, longest refugee problem in the history of mankind. Uh, this war that's been going on in Syria, it's really caused a lot of trials and troubles. So what else we have here? We take uh, medical teams. This was last uh, February. Uh, our team went over there. Uh, the gal, the blonde over to the left is um, Dr. Laurel. She comes out of Calvary Chapel, Olbert. I am recruiting. If you have a medical background, you actually are able to practice medicine in America, we'd love to have you come with us on a mission trip. Uh, they're short term. It's one week. We look for physical therapists, dental assistants, dentists. Uh, we have a full-blown medical clinic and dental clinic in that church upstairs. So uh, if you have a medical background and you'd like to come, Come and work. <laughs> um, on that trip, we were, they ministered for five days and they treated over 300 people. So all for free and all in the name of the Lord. What else we got? Okay, we um, obviously we try to help physically, the physical and emotional needs of people. But you know what? If you don't have Jesus, it's all temporary. It ends when you breathe your last. So we want them to know about Jesus, and we share Christ in everything we do. Uh, the picture up top are some of our newest partners. They're in Israel. Uh, they minister to uh, high school kids who are about to go in the military. And if they're Christian and they go into the Jewish military, they really get harassed. 
I love Israel, don't get me wrong on that, but you got to understand, if you preach Christ crucified in Israel, you can get deported, you'll definitely get persecuted uh, by the locals. So there, those two, that's Gal and Leah. He's Gal. It's always funny talking to him, you know. I got this friend Gal. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> another couple up in the left, uh, they're going to play a part in our story today that I'm going to share with you, but um, they're from Argentina, and they're ministering uh, to Syrian Muslim uh, widows and children up there in that part of the world, and then we are planning two churches, uh, one in Jordan and one in Iraq, and obviously they don't have their picture there because, well, there's just some things you don't talk about, I guess. What else do we have? Is that it? Oh, oh no, how could I forget? Uh, these are a couple of Iraqi refugees with me and Pastor Hython, the guy in the gray sweater. His name is Carlos, and Carlos has a really fascinating story. He was picked up by ISIS when they rolled into Mosul a couple of years back. Uh, they told him he had to convert or die. He said, I'll never leave my Jesus. And so they arrested him. And for 45 days, they hung him upside down, off and on, and tortured him. And we won't go into the details, but he was one messed up guy. In fact, you go over with me today, he's still there in Jordan. And you look at those legs, and it's an, this is the honest truth. They really mess with him. And one day, out of the blue, they came in, uh, drug him out to a van, stuck him in a van. He thought, well, today's the day I go to heaven. And uh, instead of killing him, which he thought they would do, they took him out in the desert, him and I think three other guys. They dropped him off in the desert. By God's grace, uh, he got a, was met by some um, missionaries from Spain. Uh, they were a medical team, and they helped him, and he can walk today, which is uh, incredible. But uh, let's go to the next slide. Um, you know, that guy, Carlos, the last time I was over, I asked Hytham, I said, uh, how's he doing these days? He said, you know, he's still got problems. I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, sometimes we find him in a back room in the church curled up in like a fetal position, you know. Uh, these are scars. War produces scars. And war is not pretty. There's nothing glorious about war. Um, you know, we do what we have to do, but... We need to pray for people. Again, pray, yes, for our military. I used to tell them from the pulpit, you guys got a tough job. You got to do your job. But the rest of you, you know what your job is? You got to love the people they have to go over and take care of. Because they wouldn't have to go over and take care of them if we were busy loving them unto Christ. You know, there wouldn't even be an Islam if the church of, of Muhammad's day had got to him with the gospel. I don't know. It's just a thought. It's a possibility. But if we do our job, that lessons, you know, we do the love, they, they take care of business. Um, all right, I'm getting off on a weird track. Um, when ISIS came out of Iraq and, excuse me, out of Syria, and they rolled down into Iraq, it was in the year 2014, and they would take this picture, it's a letter, noon, and they would put it on the side of the homes of Christians. And when they did that, it marked that home uh, to the other soldiers, the ISIS soldiers, and said, you can take what's ever in there. Now, when I say take what's ever in there, those people had a choice. They could convert. Or everything they had, you can give it up and get out. Or some of them were just outright killed. But they would literally take girls from the age of eight 
on up to 35. They got the most money from 8 to 35. Now, I'm a grandfather. I don't like to hear that kind of stuff, and I shouldn't even be talked about in church. But you need to know how serious this is. This was horrible. This was horrible. In fact, just last week, there was a 60-year-old woman captured by one of these Muslim armies up in Syria, and they repeatedly raped her, and then they buried her in the ground up to her neck and stoned her to death. These people are barbaric. Now, I say that, and I caution you as I say it. We've got to take the opportunity here in America to love the Muslims. We have freedom. Amen? Be grateful for that. We have the freedom to worship God today. Nobody asked me my name when I walked in the door. You know, I wasn't being checked by police. We, you know, occasionally we would have that in Bahrain. Muslims would come to our church. And then the guards who were Muslim guarding the school where we worship, they would say, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing? This is for Christians. We know you. What are you doing here? Can you imagine what that feels like? You just want to worship God. So while we yet have freedom, you know, a lot of people look at all this illegal immigration as a big problem. Yes, it is a problem. But it's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to get to know a Muslim and become their friend. And you know what happens when you become my friend? I introduce you to some of my other friends. And one of my friends, one of my best friends, is named Jesus. Amen? Use the opportunity that you have here in America. Let's not waste our freedom, get to heaven, and say, Hey, man, you guys had freedom, more freedom than anybody in the world. What you do with it? Anyway, not to put a guilt trip on it. Look at the opportunity. You got a chance to make a new friend. Eat some great baklava. It's, it's a fun thing. So we do all this stuff, and, and now we're here, and we're going around raising awareness and, and funds to help the people. But that noon, that letter, it, it stands for the word Nasara. Nasara is the Nazarene. And in Arabic, we say Misahiyin to describe Christians. We are Messiah's people. We're the Christians. Okay, that's the word we use. But they use the word Nasara as a derogatory term, the Muslims, to look down on us because that man, not that God, not that divine Jesus, that man out of Nazareth, that's who you follow. So it's a derogatory term. In our ministry in Jordan, we started to have the Iraqi Christian refugees make little mosaics with that noon on it. We've adopted this. This is sort of like the equivalency of the yellow Jewish star in Nazi Germany, what it meant to the Jews. This means to us as Christians in the Middle East, yes, we're proud of it. We thank the Lord that we follow the man, God, Jesus from Nazareth, okay? Um, so we brought some of these, and they're out in the lobby, and I'm going to ask you to buy them, okay? The money goes to support the Iraqi Christian refugees while they're waiting. They're not allowed to work, so we, we put them to work uh, there at the church. We also train some of them to be barbers. We train people to be hairdressers. Uh, um, we have a carpentry shop, and you'll see some of the work for that out there as well. So anyway... All this is really difficult to wrap your head around. I, I have no idea what it's like to be told to deny my faith at gunpoint or to be hung upside down and tortured because I won't give up Jesus. I, I can't really relate to that, even though I see it and I meet the people that do. In fact, I often say the first time I went to Iraq, I went to comfort people. Friends, the stories I heard, and, I, and I'm a Vietnam vet, okay? Uh, and I was born in Camden. There you go. <laughs> 
The stories I heard that week in Iraq, I cried every day. Just horrible things go on. Why? Because you love Jesus. Think about that. These are our brothers and sisters. So, But it's so hard to relate to what they go through. So let's open our Bibles to Psalm 13. Tim, I don't know what's up next. You got another? Yes, okay. So you saw a picture of my friends Walter and Elise, the Argentinian family. Walter finds out I'm in Jordan a year or so ago, and he says, Hey, Denny, he said, listen, i got this ministry going up here. And I said, I know, I visited you. And he says, no. He said, yeah, he said, but, you know, I want you to come up and share the gospel with these Syrian widows. And I'm like, Walter, you know. I'm a guy's guy. I, I really rather have a men's Bible studies and that sort of thing. What am I going to tell Syrian Muslim women? You know, I, I don't know if I can do that. And he said, well, you ought to pray about it at least. You know, so I said, okay, so I'll pray about it. Um, the next morning, I woke up and Psalm 13 was in my morning devotion. And in Psalm 13, David is going to ask this question. And I'm reading from an ESV. It says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? These ladies had said to Walter, I think God has forgotten me. And when I woke up, woke up the next day and saw that, I thought, you know what? Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'll go. So I went up there, and uh, I had a good friend of mine uh, from Bahrain to help interpret, and, and we started this share, and we said, well, you know, let's get to know them a little bit. So I started asking them how they got there, where they were from. Most of them were from the city of Homs in Syria, and they were all widows. Now, some of these widows, their husbands had been picked up by the army and taken away for a while, and then they came back. One lady told me her husband came back. They had pulled out his teeth one at a time. And again, you know, you start to hear, I'm, I'm like just trying to get to know them, and they're starting to tell me stories like that, and by the 10th woman, I start crying again. I thought, this isn't going to work, Lord. <laughs> How do you read the Bible when you're crying? Had God forgotten them? Had he forgotten them? You know, it's crazy. I, one lady, uh, when she said where she was from, I said, oh, I've heard that's such a beautiful part of the world. I'd, I'd always wanted to go there in, in Syria and see it myself. And she goes, oh, well, you and your wife can come to my house. And, and then she paused and she said, oh, wait a minute. They blew up my house. <laughs> like, I don't even have a house. How can you come? So we asked them these questions. And then, you know, they, they told us this thing. You know, we think God has forgotten us and I was a little numb but then I just quietly prayed and said Lord I you haven't forgotten them I know you haven't forgotten them and that was my answer to them no God had not forgotten them after all he sent Walter and Elise all the way from Argentina to live in their town and there they were helping them and and sharing God's love with them and even David even David I mean you know the one God loves, friend of God, he had to ask this question. And I think if we're honest today, every one of us have asked that question. Have you forgotten me, God? You know, I, I've openly prayed to him, hey, wait, hey, Lord, remember me? I'm a missionary. I'm a pastor. I work for you, right? Like, like give me a raise or something, you know? And you get into these times, 
because of the places I go, I tend to eat unhygienic food, and then I tend to get illnesses inside. And, and a couple of years ago, they gave me medicine that made me so sick. I had an allergic reaction to the antibiotics. Every joint in my body except my right wrist, I couldn't move it without excruciating pain. And one day, I'm laying in the bed, and I'm like, Lord, what, what, is, that? what is going on? Have you forgotten me? I complained to God. And you know what? God didn't get mad. In fact, that still small voice said, listen to me. I told you through my word that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Whatever you're going through, I'm going through it with you. That's why Jesus came, right? I mean, he came for the cross. That's the main deal. But he came to show you that there's no temptation known to God, that he couldn't defeat, and that he is with us every day, no matter what we go through. You've got to walk out of here believing that. Because when you walk out of here, that world's going to smack you in the face and something's going to happen again. And you're going to be tempted to say, hey, Lord, what's up with that? And all of us have met Christians that had enough what's up with that, that they left the Lord, they left the church. And you don't want to do that. Because when you breathe your last here, there's an eternity waiting. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. Let me tell you, I look forward to it. I breathe my last here. I close my eyes in death. I open them up in heaven and I see my Savior. And I am so looking forward to him saying, well done, good and faithful. Aren't you looking forward to that? And he promised, I will be with you no matter what you go through. And then, uh, interestingly enough, when I was complaining, that still small voice came back. And he said, and I also told you, I will never give you any temptation that you cannot bear. And what's the temptation? To walk out on God. That's the temptation. Hey, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? No, don't do that. (laughs) So here we were up there, and I had a wonderful chance to tell these people, no, God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. There are times when we cannot sense his presence, but that doesn't mean he's not there. So let's look at David, you know, and and I I guess you could subtitle this message, you know, the complaint department. Uh, And I want you to know it's okay to complain to God. David did. Look at Psalm 13 with me. He's complaining to God. And the first thing he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Do you ever have anybody say to you in one of those times, you know, things just aren't going right. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe your health is bad. Maybe it's just blah. And they'll say, so how's that Christian thing going? How's that working out for you? You ever have somebody say that to you? Man, you're awful quiet on that, which leads me to believe maybe you're not sharing your faith so much. Because those non-believers can't wait till you fall. They're looking forward to it. And they will say stuff like that to you. And that's what David, he knows that. He said, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long will those non-believers laugh? So he's asking this question there in verse uh, 1 and 2. And these are honest, legitimate questions that we may sometimes ask when we're suffering. 
Way back in the 80s, Sue and I were living in Egypt, ministering over there, and my sister was 24, and her husband died. And so I flew back to be with the family. She's 10 years younger than me. I wanted to be there. She finally got me aside one day, and she said, Hey, you're a believer. Why would God do this? I was told all my life, God is love. Why would he take my husband from me? You know what? That's a legitimate question. She had a right to ask that of God. Because that's not the way it works, right? We meet Jesus, we get happy, we get married, we have a wonderful life, we never get sick, we always get wealthy and healthy, right? And there's some churches out there will tell you that. Well, that's not my world. There's a lot of suffering in my world. But there's also a God who's right there with me and said, I'm going to see you through. So it's okay, and, and she asked that. And, and it's not just because my sister said it that I think it, it's okay. Uh, you know, I, I think when we suffer, as a good, good father that we sang about, I think God cries. I think it hurts him to see us suffer. But when sin came into the world, it changed the whole ball game. It changed the whole plan. And you go back home and study Romans 8 and 9 about how the very creation is crying out, Oh God, how long? There's suffering in the world. And when his children suffer, I think God cries. And you know, the Bible is full of people suffering. The Bible is full of people asking, how long? Why this? Why me? Think of Mary and Martha. One of Jesus' best friends, Lazarus, had died. What did Martha say? You know, if you'd have been here a little earlier, my brother wouldn't be dead. And what did Jesus do? He cried. And then he moved, and he healed, you know, he rose from the dead. Job's the same way. Read the book of Job. He cries out in his suffering at one time. He says, why did you even bring me out of the womb? Life can be tough. And even Jesus on the cross, even Jesus, Father, why have you forsaken me? It's all right to ask God what's going on. It's all right to say, why am I suffering? And I don't, you know, sometimes I think he needs to move us to that point that we can understand his deep love for us and his intimacy for us. In fact, you know, people talk about God's silence. In fact, God's silence may be a sign that your relationship with him is in good standing. Oswald Chambers wrote this. He said, has God trusted you with his silence, a silence that has great meaning? God's silences are actually his answers. His silence is the sign that he's bringing you into an even more wonderful understanding of himself. You see, God is never really silent. We're just deaf to what he has to say to us. He's there. So there's three things in this psalm I want to quickly point out to you. Three things that really reach my heart. Let's see what you think. Number one, number one, trouble and distress lead us to prayer or lead us to complain, which is a form of prayer. They never taught me that in church, you know. I was always supposed to be happy about everything. That didn't work out. So I found out complaining to God can be prayer. Whining is not complaining, by the way. Okay, because we have to believe with hope that God is with us and he's going to take care of this. So anyway, trouble and distress lead us to prayer. So when his own world was filled with pain and confusion, David prayed, he complained. Notice that after complaining about his 
perception that God was absent, he then asked two things of God. He's asking him to be remembered. He's asking God to remember me. How long will you hide your face from me? Don't you remember me, God? And then down in verse 3 and 4, he's asking God to rescue me. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Remember me. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Rescue me. Can you remember me, God? Can you rescue me? And David cries out, reminding the Lord again of what his enemies will say, how they'll boast and rejoice. And if you're troubled or distressed today, and you know, just try and remember, just because God is silent, it doesn't mean he isn't listening. Did you ever have a conversation with somebody and you knew they weren't listening to you? You know, they were just waiting to talk. A good conversation is when someone will actually listen to you. And in order to listen, you must be quiet. God, when he is silent, I guarantee you he's listening. Number two, this prayer leads us to praise. David's, uh, David praises God by asserting his faith. And he writes a little song here. You know, the Psalms are songs and poems. And in verse 5, he says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice. Get that? Notice that word. Not maybe. Not eh, if it all works out. No, no, no. He just says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. At this point, there is absolutely no indication that God has done anything other than listen. The problem may not even be solved. But because he's complained, because he's prayed, because he's felt God's presence... David can say, I know this is going to work out. I trust you. It's going to work out. I shall rejoice. Not maybe, but I will rejoice. My friends, praise, praise releases faith. And it unlocks the handcuffs of doubt and despair. You go down that road of doubt and despair, and it'll get worse, not better. But if you'll stop and begin to pray... And remind God that he promised to be your friend. He promised to be your savior. It will turn the situation around. Not a magic formula, just sheer fact based on faith, based on God's promises. He does not lie. In Psalm 42, David puts this uh, another way, he says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. May I remind you that praise uh, involves gratitude, expressing thanksgiving, professing your faith, and words of ad- adoration. We sang some of that today. That's what we were doing. We were telling him how wonderful he is and how we put our hope in him. The third thing, praise leads us to confidence in God. The complaint gave way to praise in those final two verses of the psalm. Why? Was the problem solved? Was the pain taken away? No indication that anything had changed. You know, the best praise, the powerful praise, comes when things are looking bleak. You know, read your Bible. Uh, The Bible tells me don't wait around to praise God until things get better. Uh, One of my favorite stories, maybe maybe it's one of yours too, but Daniel standing in the lion's den. Do you remember that story? 
You know, he gets thrown in there. Why? Because he loved Jesus. Just like those people in Iraq. Why are they suffering? They love Jesus. They're not going to deny him. There's Daniel. Same situation. He's, he's in the pit there because he loves the Lord. And, you know, the king comes running up. He expects him to be dead. But he has the top pulled off the cave of lions. And he, Daniel, how how you doing down there, you know? And Daniel doesn't say what I'd say. You know what I'd say? Shut up and get me a rope, would you? <laughs> get me out of here. You know, you're looking at a hungry lions. I, I don't want to stand there and have a conversation. Get me out. We'll talk all you want, king. But get me out of the hole. Not Daniel. He stands there and he asserts his faith in God. He knew God would save him. I love that, boy. I got a picture of Daniel facing the lions in my office. Just to remind me that I too can face lions with the hope of Christ in my heart. David, back in our psalm, simply remembered the unfailing love of God which restored his trust. He remembered the salvation of God, which made him rejoice. He remembered the bountiful goodness of God, which gave him back his song. You know, when I was a young believer, my pastor said, you ought to keep a journal. I said, why would I do that? Girls do that, right? Girls keep diaries. And he said, no, no, no. He said, there's going to come a time in your life when you're going to need to look back and see what God has done for you. What was he saying? Life's going to get tough. But you can look back. And this is a part of that prayer and praising God. Look back and think of how good your life has been because Jesus has been a part of your life. Amen? God's been good to us. We live in the greatest country in the world. Most of you have good jobs. You, you're able to take care of your families. You've got shoes. You know how many people in the world don't have shoes? They wear flip-flops. Who wants to walk around all life in flip-flops, right? I mean, say Hallelujah. Hallelujah, I'm wearing shoes today, you know? I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. I've been in the heat too long. But but the remembrance of God is what inspired David to sing again, even in the midst of his problem. You remember Job? I mentioned him earlier. This is one of my wife's favorite verses. When Job looks up in the midst of his misery and he makes this affirmation, he says, Yea, though he slay me. Yea, though he kill me, yet will I trust in him. Man, that's the kind of faith I want to walk out of here with today. How about you? Job was strong. It doesn't matter what the devil takes away from you. Eternity's waiting. We've got a God that cares and loves us. And by the way, Job could say that with a heart filled with faith. Read your Bibles. Study God's word. Tuck it away, because in just the right time, you'll need it, and it'll come to mind, and it'll give you strength again. I want to wrap this up and just say that, you know, what do we do when life hurts? Well, both in the Old and the New Testament, this phrase is repeated, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. No matter what is going on around you, One thing they cannot take away. Same with Carlos. And he's hanging up there and they're torching him. The one thing they could not take was his faith. They could take his flesh, but they couldn't take his faith. The just shall live by faith. That's what God's telling us today. Let's put this last one up.
This is written on a wall in Germany during the Nazi era, and you know this well, but the author wrote on this wall, I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. I believe in love even when I don't feel it. I believe in God even when he is silent. Do you believe today? You know, let God strengthen your faith. Even though we don't always understand his ways, faith assures us that we can trust him. Faith remembers God's blessings from the past, and it gives us hope for today and for tomorrow. Peter knew that. He wrote these words to the church, to you and to me, and he said this, And after, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. How long, O oh Lord? Oh, not very long at all. You've entered into the deepest relationship you can have with God, the fellowship of his sufferings. That's what the Bible calls it. And he's right there with you. Amen? Let's stand and pray, shall we? Father God, I want to ask you for myself and for the other believers that are standing before you, Lord. And no matter what trials may come our way, that we would indeed have a measure of faith that would see us through it. Lord, you promise to be with us each and every day. You promise that no temptation put before us could make us fall and lure us away or turn our back on you. Men and women, just like us in days of old, have declared that even if, if we would die, even if the world would slay us, if you would slay us, that we would continue to believe in you and trust in you. Lord, strengthen our faith today. Increase our faith. I want to take a moment, Lord, to pray for our team out there in the Middle East, for Walter and Elise and their ministry with those Syrian women. Lord, bless them. Help them to see, no, you haven't forgotten them. In fact, I know, Lord, you know, that some of them have already given their heart to you. And that's a wonderful thing, a real joy. We'll meet them in heaven one day, Lord. We'll hear their story. And we'll tell them our story, our stories of faith. So bless them. Uh, Bless our church planners and protect them from the hostility of some of their neighbors, Lord. And and help them to see the openness of other neighbors, those that are sick and tired of religion, sick and tired of a religion that hates and kills, but but that they would know deep in their knower the God of love. You told us in your word, God is love. You are love. And we can't even begin to understand love, Lord, until you, we know your love. So comfort our church planters. Uh, Be with our medical team as they prepare to go. Uh, Be with the refugees, Lord. Give them hope. Um, and, And be with us, Lord. Help us to look around and see people with different eyes. Help us to see people the way you see them. Maybe they just need a friend. Help us to be a friend to our neighbor and all to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. 
We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.